I'm George Kittle, and you're listening to the Niner Guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Niner Guys. Todd Kleinheis, Jerry Sue, with you again. Another episode, podcast, and uh, the emotional roller coaster continues with this 49er franchise. We're going to talk about what happened in Atlanta, cruise around the NFL as always, end with our final thoughts. But Jerry, you've had a couple days to digest what happened in Atlanta. Uh, I, I give, give me give me your overall thoughts to the game. Well, Todd, unfortunately, all of my worries about this game were realized. I said last week that I was concerned about the Falcons because Arthur Smith had his team playing well and playing hard. And against the Niners, they did both. And I was also concerned that with all of the Niners injured players, they're going to have to field a preseason like lineup, which they sort of did with the number of starters sitting out. But they needed those who were able to play to step it up a lot and a lot more than they actually did. And I was also worried about having additional injuries, which, of course, bit us once again, as Mooney Ward's hamstring knocked him out of the game, not to mention Talanoa Hufunga, who missed some snaps, I believe, after getting dinged up. Uh, But the worst part of the game, in my opinion, was that Kyle Shanahan got outcoached. I mean, sure, there were some missed opportunities, like the drops by Charlie Warner and Ray Ray McLeod. But to me, Arthur Smith basically used the Shanahan game plan against Kyle Shanahan. Mm -hmm. The Falcons were the more physical team. They were more buttoned up. They played solid defense, and they controlled the clock. I mean, Atlanta ran the ball down the Niners' throat 40 times, and their time of possession was over 33 minutes. So what usually is a Shanahan recipe for success turn out to be the Arthur Smith's recipe for a Falcons win. Yeah. Um, I told somebody shortly after that game, now I know what it's like for the opposing team's fans to watch the Niners when they just bludgeon them over and over again and just three yards a clip, five yards a clip, first down, three yards. It's like it was I – was, I was driving home from Southern California. I was listening to the radio, and every time – all right, third down. All right, let's get a stop. First down. It was such a tough listen. And you're absolutely right. Arthur Smith, and maybe it shouldn't be a surprise because they have played. All of their games have been competitive. Even the game against uh, the Buccaneers when they were down 21 nothing, they did not get out of their game plan. They were still running the ball. They, they have They've committed to the run. And they got the best version of Marcus Mariota. What do you go like 12 of 13, 13 of 14, something to that. Um, hitting on those key plays, running for key plays, including a touchdown. So it was, it was exactly like you said, it's what the Niners usually do to other teams, get them out of their comfort zone and just infor- impose their will. Uh, and that's what, that's what uh, Atlanta did. And, I mean, you tell me. I was in, I mean, I know we'll get into the overall injuries, but you brought it up. At what point, or let me put it this way, the people who are defending the Niners or still supporting the Niners are saying, well, 
take into account the injury factor. How you start off missing six defensive starters, and then you go and Ebu Kam goes down for for a few. Uh, Hufunga goes down for a few plays. So you, you at one point you're down eight of your eleven starters. I mean, I don't know what team can overcome that. Now the detractors will say. You know, it, it's it's next man up. It's there's something wrong with the Niners. But at what point are injuries a reason for this loss? And when is it an excuse for this loss? I think the injuries are have to be a reason because if the Niners were at full strength, this would not have been a loss. So that's why you have to look at it as a reason. However, and this is why, you know, for me at least, I don't necessarily view Jimmy as the reason why the Niners win because the the Falcons are not a juggernaut. Yes, they they kind of crammed it up our cram hole in this particular game, but in my opinion, I think the game still could have been had. Again, I realize there were missed opportunities with the drops, with that one penalty that could have been a big play, the penalty that wasn't on Jake Brendel, who they said held. I think it was Grady Jarrett, but he yep. just got trucked. So it was kind of, yep. you know, <laughs> even bigger insult to what actually <laughs> happened. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, cause you know, right. People like to point to Jimmy's record and I would like to say, look, what, if you're pointing to Kyle's record with Jimmy versus Kyle's record without Jimmy, then you have, almost have to look at Kyle's record with Nick Bosa versus Kyle record without Nick Bosa, because I would imagine they're pretty identical. Um, but then when I look at this particular game, especially when you consider that both of Atlanta's starting corners ended up getting hurt during the game and you figure that Jimmy Garoppolo is this nine year veteran, you'd hope that he'd be able to take advantage of that. Um, and you know, yet he was, I think, what was it? Three of eight on third down conversions. So I think that's where then you look at it as like, man, you still could have won. Yeah, and I think the another part that is frustrating to fans is the end of the game. The what, even though former Niner punter Bradley Pinion pins them down at the one yard line, and you got ten minutes, and the lack of urgency, the not going to the no huddle. I mean, you saw it every once in a while when they they got a first down, and you saw them get to the line quick, as if they were going to start to try and use some some tempo and some no huddle and to get things going to keep the Atlanta defense on, but they could not find a rhythm, whether it be, was because the, the play got stopped an incomplete pass, a penalty. Um, it, it took them, you know, whatever it's six, seven minutes, you know, to get into what was going to be field goal range. So that is, I think what a lot of people are struggling with, with Kyle. Now, Tim Kawakami had, an interesting theory, or I'll say a theory, um, that he believes Kyle was trying to stay conservative because he did he did not want his defense out there any longer, any 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 more than needed because of the injury factor, and he could not afford to lose any more defenders. So he wanted to go with this kind of a Shanahan offense, conservative run, short passes, and hopefully move down the field for a score. But 
he was not going to take the take the the shot. I mean, we, we saw it coming out of halftime. He he took a shot to Ray Ray McLeod. You know, he took the shot to Charlie Warner. Both of those got dropped. He hit Ayuk that got called back because we're so we saw him extend or stretch the defense a little bit more in Atlanta than we've seen. Not, it in the end they were zero for three, two incompletions and a, one on a penalty. But you didn't see that on that end of the game kind of drive. And eh, could could it be that he was trying to preserve his defense because of the injuries? Did he just not have faith that we've already missed it this many times? It's not going to happen. I mean, what's what could it be? Because there was no sense of urgency to even to even try and get to, hey, we're going to make this a one score game, and it it might it might be bleak, but we're a we're an onside kick and a hail mary away from tying this game. Yeah, well, I hear what you're saying, or I hear what Kawakami's saying about where Kyle's coming from, right? Obviously the defense is super banged up. He didn't want to lose any more players. And so he's trying to juggle winning this game and not losing any more players to injury, which is kind of a tough position to be in. But at the same time, as I've said before, you can't coach being afraid, whether it's afraid of losing players or afraid of losing. Right. Um, but the end of the game was also confusing because you're saying, oh, he's afraid of losing any more defensive players. But I felt like they kept playing all their starters when the game was, you know, that last minute or last two minutes. I don't know. Remember, they got the ball back when the game was definitely in hand for for the Falcons. And the whole time I'm like, what are we doing? I think it was like the last minute. And I'm like, what are we doing? Why are all these guys out there? I didn't want to see Debo or Kittle or any of these guys getting hurt because the game was already in hand. So the idea that he was probably trying to protect the defense by the way that he was coordinating the offense, mm, I'm not sure. I don't know. But again, I mean, I have a whole thing about Kyle. I don't know if you want me to get into it now or – Let's, if you wanted let's, to let's say, save it for a minute. Let's let I want to finish up this game because there were a couple other points that I wanted to get to in the game that I don't know if they were turning points in the moment, but they definitely, when you look back, boy, that was that was significant. Starting with the Jeff Wilson fumble. The the Falcons came out, they marched right down on the Niners defense, scored a touchdown. Niners go three and out punt. Atlantic punts. Okay, the Niners got it. Okay, we've settled into our 10 a.m. game. Okay, we had, you know, and Wilson Fump puts the ball on the ground. Falcons pick it up. They go diving into the end zone. As luck would have it, it bounces to the right and they scoot and they recover it for a touchdown. If it bounces to the left, it's out of bounds and the Niners retain possession at the 20. So huge play. I mean, uh, a fumble, scoop, and score is huge especially at that point and because a lot of that also has to be atlanta feeling themselves they've got some momentum they offensively we just struck defensively was like we cannot be stopped now the niners did put a tourniquet on that and they you know they battled back they scored two touchdowns pretty quick and all of a sudden it's 14 14 it's a brand new game but that jeff wilson one was you know, again, not a backbreaker because it was so early, but it was just a situation like I think you detailed last podcast. Those things can't happen. You can't have a situation. You can't put that on 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 the ground. Um, 
I thought the biggest play of the game was Mariota's scramble when it was third and 12. And all of a sudden, the Niners line up in man coverage. They bring the house, and the entire middle of the field is wide open. And Mariota scoots, you know, again, you shut down a third and 12 and get the ball back, things are different. So, I mean, so those were two big things. You mentioned the what happens if Ray Ray catches that deep bomb? What happens if Warner catches that? I don't know. You know, that was a 25-yard, could have been 30-yard game. Um, but those two things were just absolutely heart-wrenching, those two plays. Yeah, what do you used to say about ifs and buts? Yeah, candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Exactly. And that's what this game was like. There are a lot of what ifs. What if this happened? What if that happened? What if the game wasn't at 10 a.m. Pacific? You know, I mean, people, you you mentioned, you asked the question about, is it a reason, an excuse? I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, could that be both? Because you could, I think for a lot of teams, I mean, granted, they stayed at the Greenbrier for this past week. So you would think that starting earlier shouldn't affect them as much since in the past, they've had a history of playing well on the road, on these back-to-back road games on the East Coast. Um, when they do stay out there for a second week, but they did, they, you know, whether it's because of the injuries or because of the, the early start time, they de- did look not quite as focused or their intensity wasn't quite there. Perhaps that's what contributed to some of these mistakes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, like what if, was it Greenlaw who, who almost got Mariota yep. on that blitz when yep. he scooted for whatever it was, 12, 13 yards. So yeah, there are a lot of these, plays but you know what they say about football it's a game of inches so you can't keep letting all these little things add up and they're going to stack up against you just to get back to your question a little while ago what was what shanahan's record without bosa shanahan has a five and ten record without nick bosa for 333 winning percentage without jimmy it's 23 and 61 for a 274 winning percentage so just you asked, I delivered. Those are that's what it's like. So, and and it and it hurt. I mean, again, missing Nick Bosa hurts. It, he was kind of questionable, and who knows if the if if that game is played in I don't know Jacksonville on natural grass is Bosa more likely to play because they just got done you know in Carolina and the and the turf was brutal you know if not causing the injuries contributing to them and here you go you're going into a dome in atlanta and again you're on field turf so i can understand being extra cautious with bosa and okay we're gonna hold them out and even trent williams were even if he was close we're gonna hold them out but is that game any different again we'll never know but again missing bosa on defense was huge and Let's face it, missing Bosa, Armstead, and Kinlaw, who we'll get into Kinlaw in a little bit, you're missing three of your four starting defensive linemen. Now, there's a reason the Niners have been so good on the defensive lines because because of that depth, because they're able to basically keep their starters fresh and their subs come in and you know man man the game. They, they hold down the fort. But when they're asked to all step up, and be the starters, it just wasn't the same. They they got very little penetration. They could not – every run 
was at least a two-yard gain because the running backs were hitting the hole and just even if they're getting tackled, whereas when you saw Armstead and Kinlaw and Bosa, like running backs in the previous games, they were getting stopped three yards behind. So you're talking about negative plays, which automatically puts the teams in passing situations. The Falcons never got put into a passing situation. So that that defensive line, again, I understand it's deep and – the, the the starters are starters for a reason, but that that hurt. So, do you attribute that to coaching, or do you attribute that to the personnel? No, I attribute that to talent. I mean, there's a reason that these guys are. I mean, look at Kerry Hyder. I mean, Kerry Hyder as a backup on the Niners, he's pretty good. He goes to Seattle with higher expectations. Last one season before he's he's released. So, I think it's just these guys might be able to maximize their talent for 20 plays, you know, but now when they're asked to be, okay, you got to go play 35, 40 plays, if not more, uh, that that's tough. And all of a sudden you're going to start getting worn down. You're going to get yes. And now you're asking third stringers to step up and be the backup. You're asking guys who were on the practice squad the week before, you know, they're now getting meaningful snaps. Now the one guy I did like, I kind of thought it'd be a little bit better was Drake Jackson picked up another sack. You saw, again, you saw his athleticism. You saw his speed, both coming off the edge and looping around on the stunts. I think Drake Jackson is another one of those guys that you look at and go, that was a pretty darn good pick in the late second round at a position that, boy, if you can just keep churning out pass pass rushers, that's going to be it. But, you know, again, you got to get everybody healthy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I love what Drake Jackson did. Um, Samson Ebukam, I love the fact that he would get dinged up and he was just like, no, I'm going back in. And he kept coming back, making plays. Um, But the reason why I asked you if you thought it was coaching or personnel in terms of why the Niners struggled is because the Pittsburgh Steelers, their defense, I mean, we think the Niners defense is banged up. Their defense is just as banged up, right? They're missing TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, their top three cornerbacks, I believe. Yet, they still stymied Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to the to the to the extent that Brady went absolutely berserk. Not on the uh, Microsoft tablet this weekend. He went off on his offensive line. That's how upset he was. So that's why I asked because you know even though the Steelers were in a similar predicament defensively, they still found a way. Well, yes. But that was the Steelers' first ever win without T.J. Watt. So talk about how, what's the Niners without Bosa? I mean, that was the first time the Steelers have ever won when T.J. Watt is is not playing for them. And, you know, maybe Tom Brady shouldn't have jetted off to Robert Kraft's wedding on Friday night. You know, <laughs> Maybe he should have been with his team. I mean, you know, it's all fun and games when you're winning Super Bowls and, you know, you're – Supermodel wife is standing next to you, but boy, when you start going through some issues and maybe you shouldn't be jetting off to, you know, New York or Boston, wherever the the wedding for Robert Kraft was. Again, it it probably means nothing. I mean, does does Brady, I mean, what's he gonna do? Study in his hotel room on Friday night? Probably not. But the optics of I'm gonna go to New York and have a you know, enjoy a party, and then I'm gonna yell at you guys on Sunday. That's got to be rubbing some of those offensive linemen the wrong way. So, well, maybe he went because it is no longer fun and games in Tampa. So he sees oh, the writing on the wall. He does. Um, 
this this will lead into uh, your Shanahan discussion, but uh, you may have seen it. The Niners are 0-25 when trailing by seven points or more going into the fourth quarter under Kyle Shanahan, meaning they've never overcome a one-touchdown deficit to win a game. Um, There are some variables in there. They could have tied it and then fallen behind, but not getting a win when the fourth quarter starts and you're trailing by more than a touchdown, that's a little concerning. Yeah, but I don't know how many of those games, I know that I heard somebody mention that stat, but how many of those games were during this particular period when we had Garoppolo, we had Bosa, we had this iteration? Like, was was a, were a lot of those losses kind of pre-Garoppolo or during the, you know, the those games when we didn't have either Garoppolo or Bosa or any of these guys? I mean, that that's what I would like to know. I know I heard somebody throw out that stat as well, but I just... I didn't know what, you know, which particular games those those entailed. That uh, stat entailed, I should say. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we could look it up. But still, at, at some point you would think he would – I mean, it's very clear because we know he has a conservative play from, play from ahead type of offense, grind it out, those types of things. Um, we know he doesn't – have a quick strike offense. So he doesn't have the type of, I don't know, trust in his players, the person, whatever, whatever the reason, he doesn't have what the Bills and the Chiefs have in terms of, oh, got a minute and a half, perfect. We got plenty of time to, you know, hit some deep crossers, some deep passes, and, and we can get into scoring position. He either doesn't call it or he doesn't have what he believes is the personnel. So, some of it is like, come on, Kyle, you you gotta you gotta have a come from behind win at some point in your career. Yeah, which is why I feel like at this point, I think what Kyle Shanahan needs is really to have a heart to heart with someone he trusts who isn't just a yes man, right? And so they can figure out why his offense has somewhat plateaued, you know, and how he can figure things out and get things improved. Like, you know, one of the things that's I think I mentioned this to you. I don't know if we said it on the podcast or offline, but one of the things that's always been weird to me is how conservative Kyle's offense has been with the Niners. But yet when he was with Atlanta, particularly during that last year, the Falcons were the highest scoring offense in the NFL with Matt Ryan throwing for almost 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. Now, maybe none of the quarterbacks that we've had in San Francisco could air it out as prolifically as Matt Ryan could. So, Perhaps Kyle's based everything around the ground game because of that, which is fine. But then if you're running such a conservative offense, then you can't be among the worst when it comes to turnovers, right? You talked about the Jeff Wilson fumble. And in a lot of these games, I feel like that we do lose. I think last year in the Arizona game, people talked about was like one of the worst losses last year. I think George Kittle had a fumble, right? Because yep. the Niners, you know, have actually turned the ball over 149 times since Kyle took over in 2017. Now, granted, I'm sure a lot of them were during those darker era, but still, <laughs> I mean, this that 149 turnover number is still second most in the league since 2017, only behind Tampa Bay. And that's because the Bucks had Jameis Winston, who was giving the ball away like candy on Halloween. So turnovers is an issue that needs to be fixed, I believe. But the running game, which we talked about, is also an area that seemed to have lost its punch because I heard Larry Kruger talk on the uh, talk on the radio about the Niners 
rushing EPA per play, which apparently is like one of these metrics that reflects the team's effectiveness at running the ball. And in 2019, at the height of their rushing success, they were seventh in that category. And then in 2020, they were 11th. But then they dropped to 23rd last season, and now they're 27th. And as much as we like Mitchell, Wilson, and Coleman, they just don't seem to have that explosive speed that Kyle's running attack has been predicated on with the likes of Matt Breida in the past or Raheem Mostert, who would just hit the hole and outrun the defenders. And that's why I think if Christian McCaffrey is available, I think they got to try and acquire him because I think last year, Kyle's success was largely due to incorporating Debo Samuel into the run game as the wide back, which obviously opponents were not ready for. But teams are more prepared for Debo as a running back this year. So Kyle, I think, needs to pull another trick out of his bag. And McCaffrey could be just exactly the type of versatile and explosive playmaker who could help Shanahan do just that. So, okay. Uh, So tell me what you would give up for McCaffrey because what I think – I would give up for McCaffrey is nowhere near what the Panthers are reportedly insisting on, which is at minimum a first round pick, if not multiple. Now that could be just smoke to say, don't, we are not giving him away. So don't come at us with, you know, some sixth rounder because we look, we have the money. He's doesn't have anything guaranteed. We can easily ride it out with him. So, what would you what do you what would you give up? What would you offer for McCaffrey? I mean, and I mean, what's your ceiling and, and what do you think the Panthers realistically might get for him? Like even from another team? I don't think the Panthers are gonna get a first round pick for Christian McCaffrey. I think just his his injury history alone, I think, would deter teams from investing a first rounder. I could be wrong, but that's kind of how I look at it. Plus, he's a running back. Generally speaking, you don't trade a first round rounder for a running back, I guess, unless you're Indianapolis and you want to trade. Well, Richardson, but that's a discussion for another time or never. But um, but yeah, I don't see any team giving up a first round pick. However, it will be interesting because I think the three teams that are currently vying for Christian McCaffrey services are the Buffalo Bills, who, you know, they're going for it. Yep. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, who, I don't know if you can say they're going for it. I'm sure they are. But I think for them, they're more from a position of desperation mm-hmm. because they absolutely need a Christian McCaffrey. Whereas, like, the Niners, they're probably kind of third on that totem pole of, gosh, like, we really want him, but are we really desperate to give up? more than we would want to get him. So I think that's the tough part. What would I give up? I guess the most I would give up would be a second rounder. Maybe if you had to throw in like, you know, the like 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 a package that they ended up that the Rams ended up trading for Von Miller. What was it? Like a second rounder and like a fourth, second rounder and fifth. I'm not sure what that package was, but something like that I think would be reasonable. So the Rams traded their second and third round picks for Von Miller. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Well, it may take just that. 
I don't think you would get multiple first or first and multiple whatnot. And you'd only take that much just because you would have these other teams, you know, going after him. And who knows? I, I, I heard the, uh, the chiefs just restructured Travis Kelsey's deal. So they've cleared some cap space. Could they be going after McCaffrey? Man, can you imagine if Christian McCaffrey is on the chiefs or even the bills? I mean, both those teams, it'd be scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked last podcast about just connecting the dots of everything that the Shanahan's and the McCaffrey's and all the connections between Ed and Mike and Kyle and Christian and West coast guys and things like that. Um, so I, I mean, I'd love to see it. I was a proponent of them trying to get him in the draft. Um, even though I thought, you know, you, you can't draft him as high as they were drafting. So, but McCaffrey has everything that you would McCaffrey is what everyone thought Jet McKinnon was going to be when they signed him out of free agency in terms of he's going to be able to run. He's going to be able to kick. He's our next version of Marshall Falk, Roger Craig. He's going to be able to do everything. And McCaffrey can do everything. In fact, he had a great audition this past week against the Rams, even though the Panthers were getting slammed. Um, you know, he put up what, like 68 yards, you know, receiving you know, some more yards rushing. So he, they, whether he was consciously doing it, whether the Panthers were consciously doing it, he demonstrated like when healthy, I can be an incredible asset to a team. So, and it's not surprising you get the Bills, you get the Rams, you get the Niners, two or three teams, at least they believe they're in it or they believe they can be in the mix. So, um, Thing about the NFL trade deadlines like in two weeks, so it's it's time to you know make decisions and, and get things going if you are in fact going to uh, make a, make a move. So, um, outside of that, it you know the the game was just like I said, it was a tough watch. It was it was it was it was tough to see that the, the defensive line get pushed around. It was tough to see you know the near the near big plays become misses. It was tough to see, you know, Brendel get called for three fourth quarter penalties, uh, which raises the question, now that Brunskill's healthy, does Brunskill get some center reps? I know I know, he might have to kick out to right tackle because McGlinchey went down with a calf injury. So um, I guess, you know, your whole – Boy, you, you never wish, you, you never thought you'd wish for multiple Daniel Brunskills, but you need multiple Brun, uh, Daniel Brunskills now. You, know, you need them to play center. You might need them to back up at tackle. So uh, it was just the game overall was tough, um, and it's disappointing again because you lost to. I mean, the Falcons. The Falcons are better than I than I thought, but still, I don't think the Falcons are a playoff team. So you're. You've lost to three most likely non-playoff teams at this point, and those are the those are the games you're supposed to be stacking wins. So when you come into a game like you do this week against the Chiefs, stubbing your toe isn't such a big deal. If you were four and two going into this game, you know, big big difference than three and three, and you know, plus you could have you could have had a game or two lead within the division. Uh, so I don't know if you have anything else on the game before we move forward. Uh, just wanted to at least highlight Brandon Ayuk for having yeah. somewhat of a breakout game. 
yeah. scoring two touchdowns and would have had well over 100 yards receiving if <laughs> Brendel didn't have that penalty, which nullified that 39-yard pass play. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Um, also hope that Kyle Shanahan took notes on how Arthur Smith uh, put together his game plan for Marcus Mariota because I think that's the kind of game plan Shanahan should have had for one Trey Lance because mm-hmm. I think it's fair to look at Mariota as a running quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And But you didn't see him constantly running it up the middle on QB power, right? He He picked his spots. Right, like on that option play where the defense sold out, stopped the dive. Mariota pulled it, ran outside, easy touchdown. Didn't even get touched. Yep. Uh, when the def- defense blitzed, as we talked about, opened up the whole middle, huge gainer. Mariota didn't get touched. So I think that's the kind of runs that we all hope to see Trey Lance be sort of um, developed into taking because. I mean, I just think that the, the the way that Mariota played was a way that I would have imagined that Trey Lance would have played this year, right? Didn't have to throw a ton. Like you said, he was he only threw it, what, 14 times. Um, they controlled it, the game on the ground, like Kyle Shannon usually likes to do. Um, so, yeah, so I would say that would be kind of my final thought on the game, and hopefully Kyle took something away from the game, and that was what he would take away from it. It's funny you you mentioned you parallel Mariota to Trey Lance because um, I think if Trey Lance if Trey Lance had this game and it was just a reverse Niners beat the Falcons and Trey Lance has I think Niner fans hate it I think they absolutely go ballistic and it's just it's again infuriating that they would expect more because. If you look I'm at sorry, the- say that again. Why would they be mad that the Niners won? No, no, not that they won, but because you have Trey you have you have Trey Lance and you only let him throw 14 times for 129 yards. Like you've got this Ferrari. You have got to let the, you know, they they want the the big splashy plays. Whereas I think you're right. If this was if Trey Lance could have played this game. The whole season, like played this game all year, stayed healthy. I think that would have been incredible progression because he would have got reps. He would have learned so much. He wouldn't have been asked to do too much. He would have just, again, dink and dunk, screen pass. That's, you know, take your one big shot, you know, down the field. You know, that's what you wanted. But I just, I just think 49er fans would not be pleased with this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's only the, what was it? The sixth game of the year. I don't know if the Niner fans would necessarily be up in arms if, you know, he wasn't throwing the ball around the field 40 times. I think that, you you know, because you have a lot more faith in 49er fans than I do. Well, but the funny thing is that being that it wasn't Trey Lance and being that the Niners fell behind, it's still unfortunate that I think, in the end, Jimmy did tally about 40 throws about, I believe, 41. 40 pass yeah. attempts. Yeah. Um, but I think that's one of the main issues, you know, going back to Kyle, is his reluctance to being aggressive from the jump, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that with regard to where the defense is right now, where the running game is right now, I think he needs to keep the pedal to the metal by constantly attacking all areas of the field, you know, yeah. right from the beginning. Yep. Especially again this week against Kansas City, 
I'm not saying he has to swing it 60 to 70 times, but, you know, 40 to 50 times. Um, you know, I think that's what will be necessary to keep up with Mahomes and the Chiefs. So let's uh, let's take a spin around the NFL uh, for week six. Anything catch your eye? Uh, I feel like the theme of the week was goodbyes and potential goodbyes. Okay. Uh, you know, one week after saying goodbye to Matt Rule, the Carolina Panthers said goodbye to Robbie Anderson after trading him to Arizona, I think it was yesterday, because he had some little yep. sideline blow up with, I think, the receivers coach. Uh, the Texans said goodbye to Jack Easterby, who finally wore out his welcome in Houston. Mm -hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if he's able to connive another team to employ him considering he really has no qualifications to be in an NFL front office in my opinion uh two teams who might be saying goodbye to their winning ways are Tampa Bay as we were just talking about and Green Bay because as expected Aaron Rodgers is experiencing some growing pains <laughs> in breaking in a bunch of these rookie receivers and on top of that he does not appear to be on the same page with his head coach Matt LaFleur um, and as we mentioned about Tom Brady, one of, I think I would imagine this is one of the worst losses of his career. Um, and yeah, losing to the, <laughs> to Pittsburgh and Mitch Trubisky in a game where I believe they were favored by over nine and a half points. Yeah. Not yep. mistaken. And then two teams that might be saying goodbye to their losing ways are the Jets and the Giants. Both teams pulling off statement wins. The Jets against Green Bay, as we just talked about, in Green Bay. And the Giants, shame on me for not believing in them, against Lamar Jackson, the Unicorn, and the Baltimore Ravens. So they seem to be kind of breaking out on the good end of things. But then going back to the not-so-great end of things, Cooper Rush, I think, will be saying goodbye to his starting gig pretty soon as Dak Prescott seems to be coming back and possibly Mac Jones might also be saying goodbye to his starting gig. If he indeed gets Wally pipped by one Bailey Zappi, but I guess we'll have to find out about that come Sunday. So you, you mentioned a lot of things uh, that I was going to talk about, so, but I wanted to get into a couple of things. So do the, do the Patriots get credit for drafting Zappy? Yes, because it wasn't like they took him in the seventh round. They actually took him, I think, in the fourth round. Because okay. I remember when they took him, I'm like, I would have liked Bailey Zappy, so, but not in the fourth round, right? Because he's what six one. Um, granted, he threw all those touchdowns this last year, but what was it, Western Kentucky? Is that where, yep, where yep. he played? Yeah. So you know. Um. So if they get credit for drafting him, do they lose credit for making him the third string quarterback behind not only Mac Jones, but Brian Hoyer? No, because I don't know if really? you well, let's put it this way. Well, I it's mean, what we they... said about Trey Lance. You don't know what you have until they play. But they but, have to play. But, and I so... know, but, but you're talking about we're talking about. This there was no quarterback controversy in New England. Going, it's not like ooh Bailey Zappi could be challenging. Like there was nothing like that. Like what? I mean, you if you identified him to 
be drafted, you know, slightly ahead of what I think most the consensus was. So, so you targeted him. You you thought, hey, let's get this guy. Let's not let's not lose him, you know, to someone who's going to take a flyer. So you you noticed that, but then you didn't notice he could beat out Brian Hoyer. I'm just saying, like, I think they I don't get- know if it's so much that he couldn't beat out Brian Hoyer as much as rookie Hoyer's the veteran. Bill Belichick's old school. You sort of just know your place. You know your role, right? And then when you have the opportunity, you take advantage of it, which is probably why Bill Belichick loves this kid. It's like, hey, this kid never complained. He took his assignment as he was it was given to him. Once his opportunity came up, he thrived. So now, now there's a quarterback controversy. Now it's like, wow, will we, Mac Jones get his starting job back? We will see. Um only going to mention this game because of the injury, but another Thursday night dud of the commanders over the bears, 12, seven um, Wentz, Carson Wentz injures a finger. He goes on the shelf for what? Six weeks, four to six, six to eight, something, you know, he's going to miss, you know, at least a month and a half. So let the Heineke era in Washington commence. And I think, we ta- I think we talked about it in our in our NFL preview show that <sighs> Washington is just such a hot mess. I mean, Ron Rivera, I mean, he's he's gotta as much as he loves being a head coach, he's gotta think, I gotta get off of this sinking ship. I mean, the the owners and he's in turmoil. My quarterback, like the quarterback that I kind of wanted but really didn't, he's hurt and he can't get get the support of the team. So, you know, Wentz Wentz will be on the shelf. And the commanders – Didn't Wentz finish that game? Did Wentz finish the game? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, The commanders – Do you really think he has a broken finger? Are you saying he's pulling a Russell Wilson and has another injury that is just – Again, Russell Wilson never appears on the injury report. But at the end of the game, that they lose, oh, yeah, that hammy was getting really tight today. It's like, really, Russell? I want uh, you know, had had you, you know, miraculously pulled a Russell Wilson and won that game, I don't think we'd be hearing anything about your, you know, bum hammy. So a uh, couple other things I want to get your thought on. You mentioned the Packers. Um, get in Aaron's head for me. I mean – what is what's Aaron thinking? Because I heard I heard a great stat because somebody I saw floated. Well, is there any way that if the Packers just crash and burn, that the Niners can trade for you know Aaron Rodgers and bring you know like okay, and then and then I saw. Do you know what his dead cap is if the Packers trade him? I'm sure it's like 50 million or something. $99 million. $99 million. So let's put that to rest and let's just know Aaron Rodgers. So you're saying there's no chance? No chance. Let's just say Aaron Rodgers will be on the Packers. So get in Aaron Rodgers' head because he's got to be. I don't know. I don't know if he's second guessing what he thought was going to be on this team. I don't know if he's clashing with LaFleur. I don't know if he's wishing Devontae was back, uh, you know, to give him, you know, some relief. What's Aaron thinking besides let's go have some 
ayahuasca and, and makeup. And, <laughs> I was just going to say, that's probably I, I don't what know, smokes. No, I don't know what you do with that stuff, but our troubles away. Because like you just said, I think he's made his bed and now he has to lie in it. So I think he just have to do some self, self-soothing, self-healing because things are not going as well as I guess he had thought because I don't really know what he was, what he expected when he essentially cornered the Packers into giving him that huge contract, which I don't want to say that's what pushed Devontae Adams out the door from a financial standpoint, but I'm sure it didn't help. Like if he had taken less, maybe if he'd said, Hey, why don't you guys take care of Devontae? Do anything you can. And I will take what's left over. Right. Because I'm sure he is dying a small death every single day he steps on that field without Devonte Adams we've been his safety blanket and his you know elite receiver which is interesting only because I'm sure Devonte Adams feels the same way as well like damn it I should have just stayed in Green Bay what was I thinking um but you know there's nothing else Aaron Rodgers can do he's got he's he's he this is what he wanted he wanted the money right mm-hmm. so well, Matt, and that is what it is. That's kind of, I, I agree with you. Had Aaron talked with Devontae, could he have said, look, I want you back. I, I'm going to get my money. I, I got the Packers over a barrel, but I want you with me. So you get what you can and I'll take the rest and let's keep this going. But it just doesn't seem that that conversation was had. And it was, okay, let's take care of Aaron. And Devontae had was already sniffing the the you know the grounds that you know outside of Green Bay, so he wanted out. So uh, unless Devontae, unless it was already known between the two of them, because remember last season or towards the end of the season, there was a lot of the whole last dance conversations when we all assumed it was Aaron Rodgers who would be on the move, correct. but maybe yep. without knowing, maybe Devontae Adams had already sort of. You know, like, hey, I'm done with Green Bay. I've lived here a number of years. It's time for me and my family to kind of move on to go back west. Maybe that was already what he had in mind. Uh, Who knows? Uh, You mentioned the Ravens stubbing their toe against the the mighty New York Giants. Um, War Brian Dable. Yeah, uh, but talk, (laughs) talk to me about the Ravens because... Is there any is there any reason to think the Ravens are taking a NBA or Major League Baseball mentality to this season of we know we're good, we know we have the unicorn, we're not going to stress over every win. Not that they're gonna load manage Lamar, but we all we know we're gonna make the playoffs, or they think they're gonna make the playoffs, so they're not like I said, stressing every single win. Because you remember, you know, a few weeks ago when Harbaugh went for it on fourth down and people were confused. It's kind of and and it was almost like he played it off almost like, well, you know, like like you would a preseason game. Like, ah, hey, we went for two. We wanted to try some things, didn't work out, you know, bummer. And then then you go and you and you run plays at the end that Lamar, Lamar drops back and throws the interception. It's like are you just are you using the regular season as an extended preseason to just get ready? That's possible. I didn't think about it that way. I mean, I don't know if you can think about it that way, 
when it comes to the NFL season because it's so short. I mean, yes, now it's 17 games, so it's one game longer, but it's still short in comparison to the NBA or to Major League Baseball where, I mean, those those seasons are marathons, right? So losing one game, losing two games, whatever, what have you, isn't going to completely derail your season. I mean, we, we see the Philadelphia Phillies right now in the uh, NLCS and they fired their head coach during the season. They, they had been scuffling during the regular season. So that can happen. Rarely do you see a team scuffle. Like I don't see the Carolina Panthers writing, riding the ship because they fired their coach and, you know, making the playoffs. Let's just put it that way. So it's hard to imagine that John Harbaugh are, I don't want to say that he's throwing games away just because, you know, Hey, we're going to know we're going to make the playoffs. Let's just, you know, just play it out, play the string out. We're going to be there at the end of the, you know, end of the season, no problem. But, you know, you always hear Steve Young talk about how Lamar Jackson needs to be better at throwing the ball. Right. And a lot of these plays that you're talking about, he's being put in that position. Like we're not running it. You're not, you know, we know you, you can be superhuman and you can make a play. If we're just like, Hey, look, let's just press the Lamar Jackson turbo boost button and just let you go. You're going to learn how to win these games with your arm. And so maybe that's been part of the plan this season. Um, Not being inside the inner workings of the Baltimore Ravens organization. I don't know, uh, but that could be possibly the case. Uh, And, I mean, and they are they are three and three. They're still in first place, even though they've had these losses that you know are uncharacteristic. So. Who isn't three and three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's three and you three. Are Philadelphia Eagles. So, uh, but one more <laughs> one more uh, team to get your thoughts on, and that that is the Arizona Cardinals. Is it Ugh. simply is? Is, are they just trying to be real entertaining when hard knock starts in the middle of the season? Like we got to get eyeballs on then We're going to crank this baby up because they look abysmal. See, I don't know for me, at least, I don't know how that's appealing when it comes to hard knocks. Like I don't want to see a team that's just a train wreck. Maybe you do, but like to me, I would rather them do hard knocks on a team like the jets where they're a team on the rise and you got a lot of young guys that you can profile and it just, everybody's in a good mood. Whereas like you profile a team like the Arizona Cardinals, I mean, it'd be almost like profiling the Green Bay Packers right now. I mean, I'm sure everybody's just in a foul mood because things aren't, <laughs> aren't working out and people are just bitter. But I think the Cardinals, they're just a dif- dysfunctional organization, in my opinion, almost from like top to bottom. Like, ah, I don't know if Steve Kimes that great of a GM, but he's a better GM than uh, Kingsbury as a coach, right? He's a better GM than I think uh, Kyler Murray is a quarterback even. Um, But again, you know, going back to the Jimmy G comparison, everybody likes to look at records like, oh, Kyle with Jimmy G. Well, how about Kyler Murray with DeAndre Hopkins? I think he has an overwhelming, well, not overwhelming, haven't been together that long, but a winning, a solid winning record. I think it's like, eight and two or something like that with DeAndre, but definitely a losing record without DeAndre Hopkins. So part of it I'm sure is not having DeAndre Hopkins, not having your number one receiver there that you, again, we've, we just talked about with Aaron Rodgers. Granted DeAndre Hopkins is not Devonte Adams, but in terms of that relationship, having that number one, having your, you know, safety blanket. Um, so let's see how Arizona is possibly able to 
get things back on the right track when DeAndre Hopkins gets back in the fold. But I just think overall, man, the Cardinals, there's just, I think, I think overall, they're just not a good team. They're hard to watch. I don't know. I don't know why they gave extension an extension to Cliff Kingsbury. And you were talking about how bad Thursday night football has been. They're going to be on Thursday night football. I think playing the saints and that's just another game. I'm not gonna watch. <laughs> uh, to, to answer your question, Kyler Murray, 16 and 10 with Deandre Hopkins. Really? I thought I saw something where it was not 16. It was like, I thought it was like eight and two, but maybe, maybe that, that was, maybe else. that was just last year. Mm, maybe. Cause it does maybe. look, yes, he was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He was eight and two in his last well, eight and two in his last ten with DeAndre. So, gotcha. They they arbitrarily chose. No, it was last year. So he was eight and two last year. Gotcha. First year with them. So uh, that's that. Uh, that that is all. I mean, we didn't even talk about the Chiefs Bills, uh, which was kind of just a. It, it was entertaining, but I guess unspectacular. Unlike their playoff game, the scores were. Tempered down, I thought the Bills' defense, especially Vaughn Miller, was a real problem for for Mahomes and the Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs did what they usually do. You know, they they target Kelsey. Mahomes makes a couple spectacular plays, keeps him in it. Um, they move the ball quickly like they did at the half to set up, you know, a field goal attempt. So uh, the Chiefs coming into Levi's this week will, you know, we knew it was going to be a formidable task, and it, it – proved to be especially with the Niners coming off their loss especially with the the Niner roster as banged up as it is but what do you see what needs to be done you kind of referenced you know Jimmy slinging it around a little bit more what do the Niners need to do uh against the Chiefs this week yeah I just you know kind of like what we talked about with Kyle coming to terms with being more aggressive and being in attack mode from the get-go don't wait until you're two scores down before pushing the envelope. Um, I think that's how Kyle's offense has sort of become predictable. I know at least in some of these, some of the recent weeks, he has tried to throw it more to set up the run. He's thrown a lot of screens because the running plays perhaps haven't been clicking. Um, And we know that Garoppolo is flawed. He makes some good throws. He made some crap throws, but I keep going back to 2017 when Jimmy was allowed to sling it because he didn't really know the whole playbook. And, you know, we all say that he seemed to be at his best, um, you know, so given that the running game isn't clicking, maybe this is time for Kyle to, you know, find that other pitch to go to because, yeah, I just, I mean, I guess, how about this? Can you tell me who's actually playing for the Niners? I mean, if you could do that, I could tell you whether, you know, what, what kind of game plan they should have and if they have a chance of beating the Chiefs. Well, obviously the two the two biggest names are uh, Bosa and Trent Williams, both quote trending to play this week. So if you're going to trend to play this week, um, I I think they would. You know, if Bosa was close last week, another week, you know, playing on grass should put him into the lineup. Trent Williams was not in a boot even in the you know as far back as the Panthers game and was leading the team out and doing some on field work. So two weeks removed from the Panthers game and the high ankle sprain. So I gotta think they are playing. Uh, we talked. We talked about Kinlaw. Kinlaw went on injured reserve, so he is out for two more weeks. He's he's got to be out for a minimum of four, so he's out for another 
two weeks. Um, and Armstead is, is looks like he is going to be out as well. Now, Mooney Ward will be the big question mark. Uh, Kyle listed him as day-to-day in his Monday press conference, so we'll have to see what that that entails. So, yeah, because I mean, from a defensive standpoint, I mean, they gotta have they they gotta have Bosa and Mooney and Hufunga. Hopefully, Hufunga isn't in mm-hmm. concussion protocol or anything, because uh, they're gonna have to bring the pressure on Mahomes. They're gonna have to find a way to cover Travis Kelsey. Um, you know, I know last weekend they didn't do a good job of stopping the run. I know the chiefs don't run it a ton. It's mostly, you know, the aerial, aerial attack that scares opponents, but I don't know if, uh, and Dominican Sue, I don't know what shape he's in. I don't know if he's still a free agent out there, but you know, maybe the Niners should look to kick the tires on him since, I mean, obviously they are looking at D tackles. They had just signed was a T.Y. McGill last week. So I mean, I feel like his signing concerned me because I'm like, well, what does this mean? And now we saw it against the Falcons. And that's, you know, the interior perhaps isn't as stout without Armstead and without Kinlaw. So they may want to go, f- you know, free agent shopping to see either against the before the Chiefs game or at, right after the Chiefs game because I'm a little bit worried about that D-line, um, just the interior of it. Um, but you know, as far as the offense, I think, again, like I said, with the Jimmy being able to throw it around, I think Jimmy needs Kyle and Jimmy, I'm going to put them together. Kyle and Jimmy need to take advantage of the chiefs inexperienced secondary. And obviously anything can happen in the NFL. We saw the Steelers beat the Buccaneers, nine and a half point dogs. They won the jets beat the Packers in Lambeau. So it can be done. Will it? I'm not sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it absolutely can be done. I think uh, I think the Niners have to do something to and and again, we talked about how aggressive the Atlanta defense what had been all year in terms of stifling the run somewhat. They you know, they hadn't done it all year as well as they did it on Sunday, but I don't know. The, whether it was a perfect storm, the Falcons played their best game. We talked about Mariota being 13 of 4. I mean, 13 of 14? I mean, that's that's crazy talk, you know, and, and having their best run defense. Uh, what I saw in the Bills game, and the Bills are not a prolific rushing team, but they were able to gouge the Chiefs' front seven fairly often for, you know, your three, four, five yards a clip. Now, some of that has to do with Josh Allen is obviously a much bigger threat. So, But the Niners' offensive running game plan and offensive line should be able to offset some of that by providing a little bit, you know, a little space. So I would hope the running game gets back on track. Um, I, I agree with you. I think Jimmy's got to, I think Jimmy's got to sling it around a little bit more. Can we, you know, change out the post pattern to McLeod for a post pattern to IU? Can we trade out the, you know, Warner down the seam for Kittle down the seam? I mean, <laughs> can, we, can we get, we always talk about get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. So let's get let's get the playmakers out when we're going out. And I understand Ray, you've got Ray Ray to run back kicks, and he's got this speed. He's your take the top off, you know, and go um, type of thing. So we'll we'll see. I hope I hope uh, Levi's is packed. Um, you know, and and it's been a couple of weeks, so hopefully Levi's is packed and the fans are hyped to go, and, and we'll see what happens. And if they're not going for the current team. 
The 2012 team is being honored this week. We talked about it. Right. We talked about it earlier in the year when it was first kind of floated out there that, uh, you know, the Joe Staley, the the Frank Gore, the, you know, the the Bowman, the Willis, those guys are, are coming back. And Jim Harbaugh is coming back. Uh, we talked, oh, is it just coincidence that the week that Michigan has off is the weekend that they're having this? So, uh you want to go see those? Now, I do wonder if the Niners had won in Atlanta or their record was more in the 5-1, and 4-2. Would Harbaugh still be coming, or is he just coming to show up that 3-3, eh, three and three, huh? Yeah. Let's <laughs> give, me, give me some cash. Let me coach I'll, this I'll team. show you how to do it. <laughs> well, hopefully he's coming back because they've been able to patch things up. He's been able to patch things up with the Yorks. Cause you know, I think it's interesting, you know, I know that people, but you know, the people that you, all the crazy fans have been clamoring this week for Shanahan to be fired or whatnot, which obviously is not going to happen. And one of the main reasons why, other than the fact that he's been in two NFC championship games and a super bowl is that unlike Jim Harbaugh, Shanahan's built a really good relationship with the Yorks. So that's one big reason why he's not going anywhere. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the relationship dynamic if we get to see it at all if, between Jim and Jed when they're at on the field during that halftime celebration. It, it'll be interesting to see who's there because just glancing at the roster real quick, uh, I would think Alex Smith's going to be there. Uh, I would imagine, you know, Joe Staley. I would think maybe even Vernon Davis, probably Alex Boone. Uh, I wouldn't, I would even, you know, maybe I know he's kind of stepped away from the kind of football, football, you know, his football uh, image, but the cowboy Justin Smith seems to be a guy that, you know, may want to reunite with his teammates. We talked about Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman guys who I don't think you're going to see. I don't, I don't think you're going to get an Alden Smith sighting. Um, no. I don't think you're going to get a Bruce Miller sighting. I, I don't think you're going to get a Michael Crabtree sighting. What do you think? I don't know. It's interesting you mentioned Crabtree because he, unlike a lot of these receivers, like your Chad Ochocinco's and obviously Jerry Rice, like he sort of just, once he retired, just went away, right? Like he, he didn't get any jobs in television. He just... Yeah, probably not then. Doesn't seem to be wanting to, you know, ma maintain that kind of football, um, you know, having football still part of his life, it seems. Um, I, 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 I'm just looking, you know, I mean, he's on here. So Delaney Walker just announced his, his retirement from the NFL. Um Congratulations to Delaney. I mean, maybe he comes. He was kind of a fan favorite. I hope he does. I know that nowadays he probably is no more as a Titan. Yep. Which sucks for Niner fans or for the Niners. But yeah, I mean, I loved, I love, I love, we all love Delaney Walker. He was the original Swiss Army knife. He was, he got to remember, he was with the Titans longer than he was with the Niners. So we'll see. Uh, one last thing I want to get into you, get in with you on the Niners is just this, this injury craze bug whatever because so many people have their theories on why it is and i'm gonna i want to give you 
two theories or two things that I heard heard this week. Well, the first is Lynch and Shanahan blew out the training staff after the 2019 season after the, you know so many injuries. So this has been this has been a new staff um, over the past couple of years. Yet the amount of injuries don't seem to have have changed. Now Joe Staley said. Yeah, the, the type of football that Kyle plays and the physical nature cannot be matched in their practice, the, the way most teams practice now. They You have to play, you have to practice the way you play. In order to play as physical, you need to practice as physical, which I think sounds counterintuitive to people. Like, we're going to practice harder to avoid injuries. I don't, you know, but may, is there anything to – You've got to practice that hard so it's not such a dramatic step up in physicality when you get into the game on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know what to think because I have no idea why the Niners during the Shanahan era have been so injury-plagued, especially because I don't know what they do at practice and behind the scenes. Do they hit too much? Do they not hit enough and develop that callus as I think what – Joe Staley is referring to mm-hmm. do they stretch enough do they not I don't know um you know it's funny that you say that oh or that Joe Staley said that you you cannot practice enough to really I don't match the physicality but I don't that that Kyle Shanahan scheme requires I don't even know what that means like are you saying that the offensive linemen or that the players when they're blocking are blocking harder than what let's say another team's players are being asked to block. Cause that kind of doesn't make sense to me, especially because when I look at some of these injuries, like let's take Nick Bosa, for example, well, Nick Bosa, I feel like I don't want to say he's injury prone, but kind of right. Cause he's had to deal with injuries over the course of his football life or career since high school, right? High school, college pros. He's had a litany of injuries and not just him, but his brother as well. I mean, his brother, yep. Joey is out, I think, eight to 10 weeks for, I don't know what it is. Like, is it a groin it's or a groin? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so that, so there you go. Right. They have groin issues in the Bosa family. I don't know. And then I was taking a look at uh Charverius Ward, right? Like, well, how many games did he play with the chiefs? I mean, did he play all 16 or 17 games throughout his career there? But then yet, boom, he comes the silver, I mean, the, the red and gold instead of the red and yellow. And all of a sudden now he's injury prone, right? Like, oh, now he's out. Well, in the last couple of years with the Chiefs, he also only played, I should say only, but he played like 13 games, I think. So he did miss a handful of games. So I don't, it's, it's so hard to say. But on the other hand, I haven't really been paying that close attention to the Dolphins. What's going on with Raheem Boster in Miami? Like, is he still healthy? Is he still playing? Or has he been dinged up? Is he out again? You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know why the Niners are so injury-plagued. I don't know if it's just they're unlucky. Because I think so. our old friend Jeff Kropinski texted us this TikTok um, <laughs> from a guy who I think posted uh, this grid that showed the teams that had the most injuries and the least injuries and the Ravens and the Niners, unfortunately are those teams that have just been plagued by injuries, but he didn't really explain why he was just, just, just because that guy was a Ravens fan. He was just as frustrated as us as Niners fans, but at the same 
By the same token, you look at the teams that were the least injured, the Jaguars, the Vikings, and the Packers. Why are they so healthy? Right. I mean, is it something in the water? I don't know. And 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 as much as as Niner fans complain about oh the artificial turf artificial some these te- some of these teams are playing half of their game like if the turf was that big of a deal like the Panthers should the Panthers the Jets the Giants like all these teams who have they should be they should be high on Dropping the like flies just because of like that's a cause yet they're not they're mixed in some high some medium some low. So there, I don't see what, you know, what uh, an easy solution might be. Now, I will say. So I is it just heard- bad luck that last year, Jason Verrett, who also was injury plagued, right? What? That Jason Verrett tore his ACL on the turf in Detroit. And then this year, Emmanuel Mosley tore his ACL. Again, all non-contact. Right. Right. Uh, on yeah. turf. So that's probably why, for me at least, turf gets a bad rap. Because year yeah. after year, the Niners don't play on turf. But where do they always get hurt? on turf right and i was listening to julian edelman talk on a podcast and he said now this goes to bill belichick's learning football in the 70s and 80s you know and uh, how his background was built that in the week in their bye week of the playoffs after week 16 they would ha- usually have a bye before their playoff game edelman said they scrimmaged in pads on a regular basis that bye week. So huh. so that is Bill Belichick's old school kind of philosophy of yeah, strap it on, we're going to hit, but the 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 Patriots are also kind of one of those teams that it doesn't seem to affect they're not talked about routinely with collecting all these injuries. So again, I don't know if there's a rhyme or reason or if it is just bad luck and the voodoo dolls out there, but the Niners uh injury issues just again continue to crop up and we keep saying at the end of every podcast cross your fingers that you know kyle doesn't have to have a discussion about another three or four guys down so we'll have to because if you think about some of these other players right like i didn't i didn't pay that close attention to washington when trent williams was there but i do recall trent williams being out every now and then even when he was playing for Washington. We all know Jimmy Garoppolo's history. He got his chance to fill in for Tom Brady and boom, he breaks his, I don't know, what was it clavicle? I don't know, or something happened, right? I think two games in. So maybe it's just bad luck. Just the players that the Niners end up getting end up being somewhat injury prone. I don't know. Well, again, I have to say, we are incredible at lock of the week. Another two and oh. Although I got to say, your Chargers pick was looking kind of questionable last night <laughs> over time. But hey, another another win that that puts us both on three game winning streaks. So as we look to week seven, who are you targeting as your lock of the week? So first, can I just tell you how confident I was in my lock of the week? After our show. You didn't even watch the game. Well, no. So much so that I actually took your lock of the week in our actual real survivor pool. So there you go. that's how confident I was in the Chargers. Because I was like, mm, maybe I don't believe in Brandon Staley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this week, though, I'm debating between two games. Between the Raiders-Texans game mm-hmm. and the Patriots-Bears game. 
Mm-hmm. And since we just got talk, done talking about Bill Belichick and how hard he pushes his boys, and he's got his boy Bailey on a roll, the Bears, well, they just look dreadful. So I'm going to take the Patriots as my lock of the week. Well, I can guarantee you um, we are both going to have the same result this week because I, too, am taking the Patriots as I, <laughs> as I was looking over the games. Not only are we getting to the point that, oh, this looks like a good game. Oh, I've already picked them. Oh, Green Bay over Washington. Oh, absolutely. Oh, already taking the Packers, you know. Um, I do like your the your Raider possible pick, especially them coming off the bye. you got to think Josh <clears throat> McDaniels has got those guys – all right, we've gone through this beginning part of the season. Let's let's go out and crush someone because we got to get on a little bit of a winning streak to get back into the playoff push. So I, I also do like uh, that. But I but officially for the record, I will take the Patriots. So we are and the reason I'm not taking the Raiders is because we're recording on a Tuesday. Game's not till Sunday, so there's still enough time for the Raiders, some Raider, to get in trouble with the law. So I don't want to get stuck and locked in with the Raiders just in case something should happen. And who knows, maybe Jack Easterby getting fired was that dark cloud that prevented the Texans from truly realizing their potential. And now let the Davis Mills era finally just begin. Let it flow, yes. So um, so we've locked those in. Uh, let's get to the end of the show. Let's get to our final thought, Jerry. So yeah, so speaking of bad teams, thinking about it a lot. So (laughs) I said, speaking of bad teams, uh, do you know if the Broncos have any more nationally televised games, whether Uh, it be on a Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night? Yes, they play. They have one more primetime game, Week 14 against the Chiefs. It is a Sunday night broadcast. Okay, well, it's against the Chiefs, so I might watch, but. If it was any more of the games like they've been on, I just can't watch any of those anymore. They make my eyes bleed. Remember the movie Space Jam where the Monstars stole the talent of all those NBA players? I think some aliens came and stole Russell Wilson's football skills because I don't know how else to explain what is happening with him, but I just cannot watch any of that, you know, the Broncos and Russell Wilson anymore. He's not the same guy who's tormented the Niners all these years. So I'm just begging the NFL to make sure that the Broncos and a number of these other really unwatchable teams, the Bears, the Commanders, I don't know, whichever one, I can't think of anyone on the top of my head, but there are a lot of them out there. Please do not put any of them on nationally televised games anymore because it they're just, it's just so painful. I don't want to watch. It is interesting that the NFL put the Broncos in four of the first six weeks of primetime games. I mean, they... they well, I mean, obviously, they assume Russell Wilson was going to be good like everybody else. I, I understand it, but I mean, Russ, I mean, Russell Wilson's been good, but I, I I'd rather watch Josh Allen. I'd rather watch Patrick Mahomes. I'd rather watch um, uh, Justin Herbert. I mean... It's not – Russell isn't, you know, isn't the almighty. So that was a big unknown going to the, the Broncos. And, that, you know, hitching your wagon to that team for four early season games was they they saw something that no one else did or someone talked them into, hey, and maybe it was maybe it was the new ownership saying, you know, you get us on prime time so we can have some we'll, – we'll kick it up to $4.6 billion. So I don't know what it is. I agree with you. The Broncos – 
are a tough watch. Uh, so, but only one more time you have to, to deal with them in prime time. So, uh, I'd like to take my final thought and again and chastise Major League Baseball. I mean, I just it's it's so hard. I, I want to love them so much, and they make it so hard. So this past weekend, I mentioned I was down in Southern California. Dodgers, Padres, perfect. I'm gonna be able to. I'm gonna be able to sit back, have a beer, watch this, you know, this game, and and see maybe the Padres are gonna eliminate them. Maybe the Dodgers. I could not watch it. I'm in the LA area, and it is not on local TV. It's on Fox Sports One or Two. Like my hotel didn't in the room didn't even have that. So, and they're the only game going that night in private. Like you couldn't you couldn't put that on the MLB network or even TBS, even though I, I'm not a fan of putting it on TV, at least that is a more regularly used common channel in the cable service part than FS one or two. So I'm, I'm miles away from Dodger stadium and could not watch the game. So major league baseball, you've got to do better. You've got to make it easier to consume your product, which leads me to today. Yankees guardians, Game five, it's an elimination game. The Guardians just, you know, had a ninth inning comeback for the ages two nights ago, and and they just got rained out yesterday. So, like, again, you are you are you're ready. Like, this is a crown jewel for Major League Baseball. Like, let's you got Aaron Judge. It's the like let's promote let's promote these guys, and you put it at one o'clock on the West Coast. On a Tuesday, look, I know the Yankee fans, you know, had no problem, you know, making sure they found a sports bar or street or, but like for your regular baseball fans, you're making it too hard to consume what should be a great product. Stan ends up hitting a three run homer, Judge hits a home run, the Yankees win, Yankees win. But people on the West Coast were busy working and could not consume it as easily as they probably should have. Now, I get it. Game one of the NLCS was tonight, but you know what? You figure those things out. And I know people were saying, well, you had to have it early in the day because game one of the ALCS starts tomorrow. You know what? They've already had two rainouts in this series. What's to say they weren't going to have another rainout? If they had a rainout, obviously you're going to be giving, pushing that back. Not that the Astros are just going to be sitting there waiting for whenever it's ready. And – I do think it's a disservice to the Yankees in this case, but it was going to be a disservice to the Yankees or Guardians to have to fly overnight to play a game against the Astros tomorrow. There should have been one game, one day anyway to get the rest. So you're now going to have the ALCS and possibly not the best possible product because you're having these guys play back-to-back, you know, 2,000 miles away, and it, again – I want to love you so much, Major League Baseball, but you're making it so hard. <laughs> With that, I think we'll put a wrap on it. So for Jerry, I'm Todd. Thanks for listening to the Niner Guys. Like and subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice. Follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter, Niner Guys. Ask us a question. We'll get to some of those uh, hopefully soon. But it's another uh, build up the emotions kind of week, build up the confidence kind of week because this is this was going to be a tough game no matter what. 
The injuries have made it tougher. I just hope we come out on the other side with, you know, one of those games that we're always surprised by, you know, the only, only thing better would have been, you know, having the Rams this week, because that's the game. That whenever, <laughs> whenever some, whenever we hit seemingly rock bottom, you know, the Rams are the elixir. So hopefully, you know, the Niners can get, uh, get right against Kansas city. So, well, not to be negative, but if we do end up losing against the chiefs, what are we going to be three and four? Yes. And then the next week we get, we get the Rams. We get yes. the Rams. And that's what happened last year. We were three and five, and we got the Rams. We get, we get the and, Rams you know, down in Levi's, Levi's South. So uh, and maybe that, that's 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 the that's the formula. Get the Rams, and we're sort of down. And then honestly, maybe that's why I'm not as worried about the loss to the Falcons, as well as I mean, it wasn't great, and the game against the Chiefs. Because I feel like after this, it's really the 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 path isn't as daunting. You get the Rams. You get the bye week. The Chargers are going to be tough. At least their defense is tough. Um, but then after that, a bunch of divisional games. Should be able to handle them. I mean, again, depending on health, always about health. Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely right. We'll get into what that stretch of games looks like because this was t- the tough stretch everyone had talked about. Back-to-back road games then coming uh, back to the West Coast for Kansas City Rams. This was the this was a tough four game stretch that everyone was concerned with. So we'll have to see what happens and then and then take a look beyond as the rest of the schedule falls. So we'll discuss that next week and in later podcasts. So for Jerry, I'm Todd. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Good night.